presentation of the Pitch Podcast Network. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Streetwise Podcast, an extension of the Pitch in Kansas City. I am your host, Brock Wilbur, and the editor-in-chief of The Pitch. How's everybody out there doing? Me? Having a great time because I got to see the new Michael Bay movie, Ambulance, um, on a Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Uh, the uh, group that finds our critic screenings uh, locations and sets them up for us uh, out here to review them before the public sees them has been having a real hard time. Uh, securing locations lately, so they've turned to booking a lot of things for, like, 9 a.m., 10 a.m. in North KC, in Leewood, and uh, it's never the small, quiet movies. It's always the biggest possible thing. So Tuesday at 10 a.m., <laughs> I got to see a two-and-a-half-hour Michael Bay movie, <laughs> and the only three people in the theater uh, were me, uh, Patrick Moore, uh, who writes for us, uh, but you can see him doing his uh, film reviews over at Fox 4 on uh, Great Day KC. Uh, and our current editorial intern, Michael Kripe, who I, I'm sure you've been seeing some of his work in the magazine and so on and so forth. He's doing a great job. But it was just uh, three dudes at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday taking up an entire IMAX theater to watch a three and a half hour Michael Bay film called Ambulance, uh, where Jake Gyllenhaal was just told to make as many faces as possible. That's basically the the direction he got. Um, it's it's one of the most insane things I've ever seen, but also it it, it it's extra that because it was so early in the morning. Like if if you know this, if you know this vibe. You know when you go out to, like, brunch and you accidentally get way too drunk on Bloody Marys and then you come home and it's, like, only one or two in the afternoon, but you're like, uh, I don't think I'm going to, like, have a thought the rest of the day. And then it's, like, 7 p.m. and you're like, I think I should just go to bed again. Like, nothing's coming together. That was the experience of sitting in the theater for two and a half hours while everything in the world exploded around me as loud as anything possibly could. Um, the entire film is just cop cars crashing into each other or off of bridges for no reason. It's, it, 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 it feels full circle uh, for somebody that grew up with Ghostbusters and um, Blues Brothers as their favorite films, uh, both recorded bootleg onto the same VHS tape by my father. Uh, as a kid, I, I didn't understand that either of them were supposed to be comedy, especially the Blues Brothers thing. I was like, wow, they really evaded all those cops. And years later, I'm like, actually, that's one of the greatest wastes of money in a film budget of all time, but well worth it for the joke. And now uh, to see it on display like that, just transcendent. Uh, anyway, uh, Michael's review is live on our site right now. You can read it. Um, the, th the film is in theaters for everyone today. Um, me and Pat, uh, we, the three of us all just sat right next to each other. Uh, me and Pat just howled with laughter all the way through this thing, just being like, this camera angle, why is he shooting this establishing shot like it's out of Evil Dead? Like he, he, <laughs> As our friend Kate uh, summarized succinctly, uh, it is an entire film shot as though it was through a drone camera 
and the drum uh, was on coke. Uh, like, and that's the perfect summary. Like the, the, the camera never stops spinning around as if somebody just kept throwing cameras out of helicopters, which I don't know, Michael Bay has the money to do. So, um, it, it, it was, it was just sort of like getting hit in the face with a baseball bat all morning. And I, it's days later and I've still not recovered. Anyway, me and Pat had a wonderful, hilarious cackling out loud through the whole thing time. And I kept looking over at Michael next to me. And he was just shaking his head. And he's he's too young of a man uh, to to have such darkness in him to not be able to enjoy a Michael Bay film. But his uh, his review is live on the site. He did not have a pleasant time. He did not get to have the same level of fun we did. I think because we then had to like walk back to our cars at like 1.15 p.m. or so and and pretend like we knew how to leave that theater and drive a vehicle and be safe doing so. I don't know. Anyway, I, <laughs> I would like to pose this as my uh, reaction to uh, inverse opposite for Michael's review. Uh, Michael did not have a pleasant time. I think if you have nothing better to do in the next two weeks, give Michael Bay two and a half hours to just watch Jake Gyllenhaal, Rob Banks, and take over an ambulance. Uh, it's it's one of the stupidest things I've ever seen, but it's also maybe the first time I've been back in a theater uh, post-pandemic just seeing a gigantic amount of spectacle where I, I was just like a, a child... Not at Disneyland, but in front of just like a churro cart. Just like, oh, I want that. Oh, that's so fun. Look at all that. Look at all the fun everyone else is having. I enjoy that fun. Uh, and it was with me and two co-writers <laughs> from the pitch alone in a gigantic theater <laughs> on a Tuesday morning. A, a, a memory that will not be lost to time. I will savor this for always. Anyway, we've got a great episode of Streetwise up for us today. Uh, we have an interview later with Dia Jane. Uh, we have Nick's Music Corner, as per always. But first up, uh, a piece that we have long been very excited about uh, delving into. Uh, all the all the things came together at the right time. Uh, Jason is about to read to you uh, from our piece about what's happening in the fashion industry in Kansas City and how people are looking out for each other for the first time in a real organized way. Uh, Jason from Stolen Dress Entertainment, please take it away. Mac and Me. It's all about boundaries, baby. By Tyler Schneider. In February 2021, Bianca Alonso, a model and self-described numbers person, launched a survey designed for and shared with several of her peers in the Kansas City fashion industry. Her goal was to gather enough responses to gauge the prevalence of sexual misconduct in the local scene. I started seeing the numbers come through, and they were shocking. 60% of the people that I surveyed said that they had experienced either a pushback on boundaries or had been in a shoot where a photographer had been pressing for models to shoot beyond modesty level, Alonzo says. Although the informal survey had a relatively small sample size of 31 respondents, the data, along with Alonzo's personal experiences, indicated a need for advocacy in the Kansas City fashion scene that still wasn't being met with organized effort. Last fall, Alonzo got together with her friends, model Kat Mock and designer Audrey Lockwood, and discussed how they might take action to combat these concerns. In January 2022, they launched the Models and Artist Advocacy Council, MAC, a Kansas City-based nonprofit organization focused on providing education, advocacy, 
and resources to prevent and fight predatory behavior in the world of fashion. By the time this story hits newsstands, the group will have launched a new website with links to donate, volunteer, or find information on MAC events. The latter will come in the form of educational sessions designed to provide resources for models, photographers, designers, hair and makeup artists, and anyone else working in greater Kansas City fashion. As a brand, we know we need to figure out how we're going to shift the culture from inside, Alonzo says. Something we have said from the very beginning is, how do we create an industry standard? Currently, there is no standard, no protocol, no oversight. You really don't have any sort of entity that's protecting you. While we understand that, we want to be that entity. I always knew there was a need for this, says Lockwood, and I always knew it was something that happened, but I didn't know that there wasn't already a resource like this in the community. In the fall of 2021, shortly after Kansas City Fashion Week, Lockwood, Alonzo, and Mock talked about their own experiences and decided to commit themselves to creating the change they felt was needed in a positive way. We're all very like-minded individuals. We all work full-time, and we're all active in creative settings outside of our full-time jobs. So this is an entirely separate endeavor that is important enough to us, and we're passionate enough about it to make it a priority, Lockwood says. Alonzo, an ICU nurse by day, began modeling locally in 2019. I had just started branching into shoots and started meeting and working with more photographers. Then, right off the bat, I heard of a model who was drunk and assaulted. My first reaction was, well, I'm out, I can't do this. This is not the environment for me. I mulled it over for a couple of weeks and realized, wait a minute, why am I backing off? I should be able to enter into this space, Alonzo says. Alonzo crafted her survey as a direct result of these ruminations. I started getting really interested in how can we keep this from happening? How can we get more involved? I started talking with Lockwood and Mock about resources and tools that we could provide, about consent conversations we could be having on the front end of working with each other, Alonzo says. The fashion scene is rife with embedded stigma and stereotypes that silence models from speaking out about their negative experiences. You have the Me Too movement, which is heavily influenced by celebrities and actresses, but then there's not a lot of sympathy for models when they get into those situations with photographers, says Lockwood. A lot of times, blame has been placed on the models because it's something they wanted to do, or they were asking to be in that environment. A collective advocacy group could be a powerful deterrent and an indispensable resource in the long term. There's a need in the industry for representation in cases where models have experienced sexual misconduct and harassment. It's something that I feel has been ignored in the past and is much more common than people realize, Lockwood says. Alonzo, of course, has the data to back this up. 48% of those she surveyed responded that they had been touched without consent at shoots. Across industries, anytime there's a power differential, there is the likelihood, or at least the possibility, for sexual misconduct. We've seen it in gymnastics, we've seen it in Boy Scouts, and we've seen it in the Catholic Church. It's part particularly risky for models in this industry because it's almost seen as, well, you, your body, is the commodity. We want to break that cycle that perpetuates itself in these spaces, Alonzo says. Mock cites the prominence of a quid pro quo culture in the industry as another hazard models frequently face. It's, you do this and I'll do this for you. It's really hush and you go home and you're like, that's just part of the industry. It shouldn't be, Mock says. The three decided on the tagline, hashtag it's boundaries baby for Mac's initial launch on social media. At first, we were a little hesitant on the baby part, but it's like, no, that's us. That's who we are. It's boundaries, baby. It's really that simple. Just set your boundaries and stick to them. It's also okay to kind of experiment with what your boundary lines can be. Just make sure that you trust yourself and build your brand, Mock says. From the get-go, Alonzo, Lockwood, and Mock had a very specific vision of what they wanted to accomplish as a nonprofit. 
We've talked about quite a bit not wanting to be this entity that just comes in and starts pointing fingers. We're not seeking to demonize everyone. We're seeking to bring us all together so we can share the same standard and sort of abide by this law that we create for ourselves. So it's more of a unification of the different parts of the industry rather than an us versus them or you're the bad guy, we're the victim, Alonzo says. Lockwood agrees, describing Mac's mission and goals as proactive and positive. The group aims to announce its first event, a panel with speakers from the Kansas City fashion industry, in the coming months. We're going to ease into it with something just to let the community know who we are, Lockwood says. We're also going to try as much as possible to be present at local events, letting people know who we are as a resource, and checking to make sure everything is model-friendly and safe. Future events and efforts will become more structured over time, following a specific theme in conjunction with Mac's quarterly social media campaigns. One of our campaigns, for instance, will be Red Flags. Part of that education course would be what to look for, things that may not be so obvious. How can you prepare yourself when you're working with someone you haven't worked with before? What should you look out for? What should you do when you do experience something problematic, Mock says. A big part of our effort is to not only educate models on safety, but also to educate photographers, designers, hair and makeup artists, and other creatives, Lockwood adds. We want to go beyond just the model-photographer relations. Eventually, the trio will look to offer voluntary certification sessions for local industry professionals who attend one of these sessions. They've come to us, they've received training, they've taken steps to be accountable, and that's a big positive step forward, Lockwood says. Several months ago, Alonzo explains, these problems were getting a little closer to home for all of us. It's time, I think, that we all start organically from the inside and say, hey, this isn't okay. We can't tolerate this anymore. There are some things that we can do to get ahead of the game. The goal is to offer a pathway, if you ever needed it, on how to approach a situation if something does happen to you or someone you know, Alonzo says. The Me Too movement is one of the defining moments of our current era. At present, there are still battles to be won in all industries and all walks of life. It will come down to grassroots activism, in the Kansas City metro and beyond, from groups like Mac and its founders. Leaders like Alonzo, Lockwood, and Mock are fighting to develop a new culture, one of transparency, accountability, mutual respect, and solidarity, that will become commonplace in both the fashion industry and in every other facet of human interaction. I think the culture has been such that we're just sort of expected to face these issues, live with them, and that's just the way it is, Alonzo says. But you know, as we've progressed as a society, and as these conversations come to the forefront, I think it's clear that this industry has to move with it. The problem has been defined. We see evidence of it in our practice. What are we going to do about it now? And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Nick's Music Corner. Hello, I'm Nick's Basic Music Editor for The Pitch, here with this week's local music recommendation. When the Creature Comforts were last playing regularly in 2002, I went to see them pretty much any time they played. Their shows with the people, later the Golden Republic, at the replay were a regular occurrence, and during that time, the band was focusing equally on their debut, The Politics of Pop, as well as their sophomore release, Teaching Little Fingers to Play. You could also hear them playing new tunes alongside their cover of the Kinks picture book. One of those new tunes was Skyline. It was just about the most rocking thing the band had ever written, and like Sincerely Me or Off-Duty Eyes, it stood out from the rest of the Creature Comforts tunes because it came within a hair's breadth of pop punk. You can argue that power pop and pop punk share a lot of things, including my fandom, but this trio of tunes could have been marketed as a 7-inch to the pop punk underground and found rabid appreciation from fans of bands like The Ergs. 
Skyline, along with the glowing horses of Racine, Bethany Parker, and Star Mining never saw any official release. However, when the band's gotten together for the occasional reunion show, they've had stacks of CDRs featuring the unreleased demos, as well as two songs each from their albums proper, meaning fans can finally have these tunes, long unreleased, in their hands and ears. Well, it's been a minute since those last reunion shows. Chris Toll can be found fronting Chris Toll in the early reflections, with J.D. Warnock and Billy Brimblecom regularly appearing with Yacht Rock tribute Summer Breeze. Billy Brimblecom is also the man behind the annual Thundergong show. In the meantime, here's Skyline. sitting down here today for an interview with Dia Jane. Uh, she is a musician uh, affiliated with a half dozen projects already, uh, which is wild because she is not out of school yet. Um, I don't know. I, I think we have a fun friendship that is starting to form, but also somewhat of a parasocial relationship where I'm like, you're so good at what you do. Do you do you know how good at what you, you are, what you do? I, I just want to be complimenting them constantly. So, like, it was nice to have them on the show and to know that they will be back here, uh, both within the pages of the magazine and online and on this podcast with some frequency. Um, it's It feels very good to be in Kansas City long enough to be able to finally definitively say things like, hey, this is the next big thing, uh, and to not be the person coming from California and being like, I... I'm guessing that this is the next big thing. So uh, here is the interview I did with Dia Jane. Dia, welcome to the podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, hi, I'm Dia Jane. I'm a Kansas City musician um, and I'm a college student. So I'm currently living in Evanston, Illinois at Northwestern University, but come back down and make music every now and then. It's a good old time. Isn't Evanston just a blast? 
It would be more of a blast if everything didn't close at 8 p.m., but it's cool. I like it. <laughs> uh, for the audience, uh, I did not know that Dia was a Northwestern student. I saw her at the Making Movies uh, Kid A show back in December, and I was like, who was that person that came out and just blew a whole song out of the water? And I was looking at her up later on Twitter. Uh, she is in the same film program that I went to uh, and also has a bio that quotes Southland Tales, my favorite movie of all time. So it was a pretty easy like, oh, I, we've covered you in the pitch before, but we're going to we're going to cover you in the pitch more often. Uh, so that's fun. So like, yes, it. we've both had to suffer uh, the same terrible rich suburban neighborhood where everyone hates that we're there uh i at 18 i was working some of the evanston uh bars as like the id checker and i'm like but you guys know i shouldn't be here right and they're like ah, no one's gonna who's gonna check the checker who's who watches the watchman you're safe on this one man so yeah i wish it wouldn't close at eight either how is northwestern university treating you <laughs> Well, yeah, I don't, it's like mostly the student's body is like what I love a lot about it. Also what I hate a lot about it, but like the people <laughs> that I know and the, the people that are like doing projects that I get to work on, uh, especially in film is really awesome and really fulfilling. So that part of it is awesome. So, yeah. It's not not still a Midwestern school, like you leave and you think that you're not going to be still with the same people from high school, but a bunch of them come with you and you're like, oh, I remember you. This is fun. Not from my high school, but a lot of people, that is their experience, which is tragic. Can't relate, but. <laughs> so here to talk today about your pretty expansive music career. Uh, holy, holy cow. You've done a lot more uh, in Oh, in your short time on this earth than I've done in double the time. So, you know, respect, game recognized game. I don't know, like it's, <laughs> it seems really awesome. Um, so uh, your, your main project uh, is Baby in the Brain. Tell us about that, how that came to be. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because I feel like I haven't done that much compared to Joe McKenzie, who is my musical partner in Baby in the Brain. It's just the two of us. We met a long time ago at like a Nelson Atkins open mic when she was in eighth grade and I was in 10th grade. Sorry, they do open mics at the Nelson Atkins that uh, I, it doesn't feel like it, it doesn't have good mouthfeel to me. That's not where it doesn't. that should well, happen. They, I don't know if they still do. They stopped over the pandemic and I was going because I was on like my high school slam poetry team. And so we were invited to do something for that. And she was there. Pro she hadn't even released any music yet, I don't think, but she was kind of promoing herself because she was about to do her like debut single in eighth grade, of course. Um, but you know, as as one does, I guess. Um, and so we met there and then kind of kept in touch on social media and then reconnected through making movies, uh, like artist mentorship program, which is awesome. And so we kind of started hanging out through there and then started writing songs together. And then suddenly we were hanging out like six days a week and then we wrote enough songs we were like oh this should be something and then we were really annoying to Addie Sartino of the greeting committee who it's insane that she is someone that I can be really annoying to um I can just text her and be like hey hey help me help me um and she was like yeah you guys should make this a project and so we did um and now it is which is crazy there's a whole album out that came out uh over the summer and with Abby and making movies it's it just seems like you've 
really positioned yourself to have all of the Kansas City mentors. Like you're actually kind of hogging them. You should really like spread that love around. <laughs> yeah, I don't. You guys can find your own mentors. <laughs> it very much like fell into my lap. Like it wasn't something I expected to happen at all. Because with making movies, my high school English teacher Joyce Win Hernandez, favorite woman, she's great. Um, not favorite woman, sorry, mom. Um, but you know, she's up there. <laughs> um, Your mom's not like, listening. It's okay. You can be honest with us. <laughs> she will actually, she'll be like, why didn't you tell me this was happening? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but she was like, Hey, you should join this camp that's going on. And so we did that. And that was fall of 2019. And then obviously in 2020, everything went to shit. Um, but that was how I met Enrique of making movies and Diego, his brother, um, were awesome. Such great kind giving people i mean the whole band is uh Juan carlos is also uh a big helper in that camp and they're great and then through them i met brandon of the greeting committee and i was so freaked out when i met him because we um we were like we wrote a group song as part of that program which is mediocre no offense to that song um but we were like recording it as part of the experience at the end of the camp and <laughs> enrique's like Oh, and my friend Brandon from the band, the greeting committee is going to come in. And I like had a little spastic attack because I didn't know that that was happening. And none of the other kids knew who the greeting committee was. But I like. So it was just red. you spazzing out on this one. Yeah. I was like, well, I think I was also one of the older ones there. And they were just, I, I don't know. They just didn't really know. Lame. Uh, not, not in the know, not in the loop, but freaked <laughs> out. And then Brandon comes in. And Enrique, like an embarrassing father, decides to be like, hey, Brandon, he is a big fan of the greeting committee. And I was like, don't look at me, don't speak to me, don't ever know my presence. But anyway, met Brandon through that. And then Brandon and Addie helped me record Father's Daughter, which was um, my solo single debut. Uh, and that was crazy. And I love them. <laughs> and everyone else can get their own mentors. That's <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so uh, one of the best parts of a, a, I think both me and Nick have separately noted it in uh, pitch articles uh, about the Baby in the Brain album, Brain Baby, which also thank you for that because I screw it up every time. I'm like, which which one goes the one direction? Thank, thank you. Does, yeah. <laughs> uh, but like for being something that is recorded uh, in like a bedroom and between two friends, uh, you do a thing that I, I've missed in music for a long time, uh, which is where you're just sort of yourselves in the space. Like you can hear you guys laughing and talking in songs and just like uh, background stuff and things between tracks. It has it has an organic feel that like I, I, the best pandemic album was actually recorded pre-pandemic. It's Fiona Apple's Fetch the Bolt Cutters which she recorded alone in her house. And it has that same thing. And that made me realize how much I missed it. Cause like at the end of songs, you can hear her dog barking. You can hear street noise. You're like, this is of a space and in a space, but that one was so solitary. And this one is like friendship hang a long time. It's, it's, it's such a thing that like, if you sit and listen and start to finish on the album, like it there, you almost walk, walk away with like, parasocial relationship of like they're my friends isn't this we we just hung out the other night like why did yeah. you guys choose to go that route oh gosh that's so nice to hear because like I grew up listening to a lot of music that incorporated stuff like that that was more kind of like raw like 
like the Avett Brothers, and there was this band called My Terrible Friends that no longer exists, but the singer from it is now Pomplamus Music. They make music, they're very cool, but they would do similar, like, just very live recordings. There'd be like crows cawing in the background, and I was always like, it's so real, like I'm in the room. And Joe and I are kind of different in that sense, because she's such a fan of things sounding really clean and polished, and like, she's so talented at doing that in her production. And then I kind of veer too far in the other direction where I'm like, let's make it raw. Let's make it sound bad. Um, she's like, why would we do that? And I'm like, really excellent question. Um, so <laughs> I think it was a kind of good like meeting in the middle of both of us kind of pushing each other's boundaries. And like, cause our friendship is really special. Like we're honestly like sisters pretty much at this point. Like she's just one of my best friends in the world and like one of the people I'm closest with. So it felt, it would have felt disingenuous not to keep things like that in the music because also the music is such a big part of our friendship so you know metaphors and sappy shit I mean stuff can I curse on here yes <laughs> okay yeah please please do as often as possible sorry mom um, <laughs> she's heard it so we yeah uh in terms of that mix of, of of clean and dirty uh maybe the most polished song you guys have is one of my favorites it's uh on the Run, which is the best like faux lore Taylor Swift song I've ever heard. Like you guys really went out of your way to like spoof it, but like be in it. And like, I, I've listened to that song a lot. I, <laughs> previous to this, the best Lord cover I've heard, like make fun of track I've heard. Have you seen the South Park episode about Lord? Mm -mm. Yeah, see, I, I dislike bringing up South Park, but it is for <laughs> this one thing, which is that there is an episode where it is revealed that Lord is actually uh, Stan's dad, uh, a, a geologist in his middle age in central Colorado, uh, and that for years he has recorded himself thinking up little ditties in the bathroom at work into his iPhone, and then he comes home and makes it into Lord's songs, uh, and the whole music industry covers it up it's it all leads to a scene where like stan is like you you can't be lord and he's like let me show you how and for two minutes they just show a pro tool screen where it takes his his toilet bitty and then quantizes it and does the, the <laughs> stuff and it comes out sounding like a perfect lord song and it's one of those like twist reveal things that you're like it's, it's also the only time i've ever seen on television like a cutaway to just pro tools to show like yeah. the plugins and stuff and be like no, literally, this is how easy it is to do what this is. So like uh, that, that, that one is an intrusive thought that happens every time I hear a Lord song. So it even happened when I listened to this one, but yours is like so much better at making fun of it uh, by living in it and being like, what, are you, what world do they live in where they're able to sing about things like this? It's insane. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, yeah. I like picking apart your music. It's fun to, to pull strings on. <laughs> honored yeah it is funny because a lot of the album like joe and i i don't know if people can tell this but we are not party animals per se um <laughs> we're not like you know the biggest wild children of the world i now have a buzz cut so that's like less believable than it was when i was like full them but truly like very introverted so, and then we wrote this whole album about like going to parties and like going crazy and like running away from home and it's very unrealistic because we just kind of like joe's favorite book is infinite jest like we're not <laughs> not really living that truth but it was 
really well, look, fun. Imaginary I, parties are way more fun than actual parties are. So not exactly. going to actual parties. Yeah, you got it. You know what you're doing. We actually, we wrote a song that didn't make the album because it didn't end up very good. But the first line was, I don't like parties, so I don't go to parties. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it was called Parties. And then the whole thing was like set. At a, I don't know. Because I think Melodrama by Lord was such a huge inspiration for that project. And obviously that is all like, one big party scene but not really and like drugs and sure. sex and love and all this shit that like we didn't have that much experience with um so it's kind of more the fever dream of like what that could be <laughs> in our but also world. like lord and billy eilish are are children and whenever they're singing about being drunk in a benz or something i'm like you can't do that i know, I know you do but you can't like you're <laughs> <laughs> yeah like yeah imaginary illegal. parties for them too <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so tell me about your work with the whips, because see, I'm just going to run through all the stuff you do to, to convince you that you're actually prolific, because you apparently <laughs> don't believe it. And I'm, I I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean, okay, when your best friend is Joe McKenzie, it's very hard to believe that you're prolific. <laughs> like she's a senior in high school and has done crazy stuff. So but I guess I'll exist on my own in a vacuum. Um, but yeah, the whips are awesome. They are such talented musicians. If y'all don't know them, although I imagine people would if they're pitch readers, listeners, they're an awesome like Kansas-based band um, fronted by Max Inaberry, who's great. I met him at the Matter Festival in 2019, which was which is Max a really is cool maybe festival. the first musician I covered week one on the job. So like, I, yeah, oh my I... gosh. <laughs> he is like, like okay. such a sweetheart. He is genuinely. <laughs> I like. I describe a lot of people as benevolent dude. Um, if that makes sense, which is maybe a reductive category for human beings, but like truly he's the quintessential benevolent dude. Like he's just so nice. Um, and he asked me to sing a song on their new EP, uh, Never, Never Break or Do, is that what it's called? Oh no, I'm a fake fan. Um, but I sang him a song, Broken, which is awesome. Such a good song. Um, and then he also asked me to sing with them at the Umatifest in 2020 or 2021 time is fake time is a flat circle um but anyway that was super fun it's funny you bring that up actually because literally last night i was re-watching that live stream out of nostalgia because i was like oh, that was such a good time because they're just they're all just like really great nice guys and they're so good at their instruments as someone who is not like instrument technically gifted i just like to write and sing it's like incredible to watch so i'm like how do you do that with a guitar like what what is happening but they're great oh love them uh i i guess in sort of wrapping up here like it, i've been in exactly your situation uh with the exact same mileage like how are you planning to tackle doing college in chicago and being a part of the kansas city music scene or like are you just going to take it as it comes or do you have a plan or are you planning on embedding yourself in Chicago? What's what, what is your four year plan here? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And one I should probably <laughs> be thinking about more. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely tricky. I'm actually coming back to Kansas city this coming weekend for the greeting committee concert um, to see them and hang out. So That'll be awesome. That'll be fun. Obviously, it's not the most like financially or time-wise feasible to just be like coming back down for a weekend. 
Um, I hope this summer to do a lot of work uh, with Joe. I really hope to record a solo album, but we'll see uh, if that happens. That'd be awesome. Um, but yeah, definitely need to look into more like of the Chicago scene because I know a few other uh, independent artists on campus who are students and they're awesome. So and night school, you know, exists. <laughs> um, so there's definitely there's definitely resources for that that I need to look more into because. I love Chicago and I love Kansas City. Like, I think I really realized I love the urban Midwest um, vibe. So I definitely love to make both of those towns uh, home bases, but we'll see how things shake out. Yeah. We are, uh, we are currently, uh, we, we did another round of uh, self-pouting this morning, but um, everyone at the pitch that cares about it is either in the hospital out of town or covering something else during the grading committee show this weekend and their press person keeps being like do you want to come to the private after party and we're like stop it i don't know oh, how we all flubbed this i'll be but, there oh, come on yeah of <laughs> course and i won't be because i'll be at girl talk across town because yeah so <laughs> uh so do you have a new material coming out soon? Uh, what are you working on? Um, nothing set in the books yet. I do have a solo song recorded, but Good. don't know about release. Joe and I also have a couple, maybe in the brain songs recorded. Again, don't know about release, but there are some things written and recorded that hopefully more solid plans will come to fruition in the near future. My time in Chicago was great for becoming very the postal service in like emailing tracks to friends and being like, this is the only way we're going to get it done. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Where can people follow you and find your work? Um, I am on Instagram as Dia Probably, and I am on Twitter as Probably Dia. And um, I'm on Spotify as Dia Jane and Baby and the Brain. Yeah. That's it, I think. <laughs> Let me make sure I don't right. mix up my Twitter and Instagram. No, I didn't. Yep. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, uh, I will let you get back to college. Have yourself a wonderful day. Thank you for your time. Cool, thank you so much. And that was the Streetwise Podcast. Thank you guys so very much for listening to us. Uh, please check out everything that we are doing each and every day of the week at thepitchkc.com. Uh, you can find the new uh, issue of the magazine on stands now around town and digitally over at Say it with me, thepitchkc.com, wumba, wumba, wumba. Um, uh, please support our editor uh, at The Black Nerd, Terrence Wiggins. You can find him on Twitter. Uh, he was the focus of a really cool story this week about uh, emotions and people doing video game streams. It's it's really fun. You'll find it immediately. Also, he sells cookie recipes. Go support that man. Uh, Otherwise, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. I will see you all next week. Be cool to each other out there. Be kind. Pitch in, and we will make it through. Bye-bye-bye-bye-bye. This was a production of the Pitch Podcast Network. The Pitch is Kansas City's independent source for news and culture. Check out thepitchkc.com to see more podcasts from us, including information for how to subscribe to The Pitch or become a sustaining member. Story ideas or feedback? Write to tips at thepitchkc.com. Pitch in and we'll make it through.